Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I am Zach, and I'm chilling with Randy. What's up, man? Hey, I'm doing okay. I got my Diet Right Cola here. I need a moon pie. Oh. Which, uh, yeah. If you recall, we uh, we went to do that little, uh, we kind of had a day out of the office, and we went to that, like, uh, workspace that we were checking out. Oh, yeah. And uh, we went to that little candy shop. They had moon pies, they had didn't they? every type of moon pie. It was insane. Um, that was pretty great. I'm drinking my my bubbly, my buble. We just say these things because we hope that one day um, one of these brands is going to go, hey, I think we'll just pay you. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works, but that'd be cool. Yeah, that probably isn't going to happen. Yeah, well, whatever. Um, so today, me and Randy are sitting here, and we're going to discuss... A very difficult... A heavy topic. Yeah. It's like the one that comes up in any argument with somebody who is staunchly against organized religion. Right, right. Every single time. Yeah. And that question is... There's a lot of ways that it's defined. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the the books that we're going to use to look at it is uh, called The Problem of Pain. And uh, that is one way of looking at it. Um, or one one way to call it what it is. There are other terms. There are some, some formal theological terms. Uh, one of the easiest ways that I, that I have heard that presents the issue in, in probably the most succinct way is saying that God cannot be all-powerful and good at the same time because evil exists. If God is all-powerful, then he can't be good because he allows evil to happen to us. Or if God is good, then he can't be all-powerful because evil happens to us. Because if he were good, he would do something about it. If he were good, he'd do something about it. Or if he were all-powerful, then he would do something about it. So God can't be good or all-powerful, or maybe he's not either. And and so, like we said, we're talking about the problem of pain today, um, the book, which is C.S. Lewis's interpretation of this theological argument. Like, why? Right. Like, he, he kind of discredits, well, he definitely discredits that question. Um, well, he tries to answer the question. This was his, this was written in 1940, so it's 80 years ago. But, man, it still rings true today. I mean, the arguments that he lays out and tries to respond to are some of the same arguments that you hear today. And he's just got a way of writing that, that at least to me, it resonates. I think to other people it resonates. Well, the man's a genius. So, oh, I mean, gee. He came to Christ. He, he did not grow up in the church. He was an atheist, mm-hmm. or at least an agnostic. And uh, he was already a teacher at Oxford. He taught medieval literature. But he came to Christ basically through logic. First, he became convinced that God existed. He worked his way through all of those arguments. I mean, he's a, he is a living uh, apologist uh, uh, in his own mind because he thought about all these things and came up with it himself. Then once he was determined that God exists, he started looking around for expressions of Christianity that he thought most faithfully represented the logic and ended up joining the Anglican Church. 
Now, he was in England, so basically had two choices. Right, right. But uh, that was uh, the church that that uh, he embraced, and uh, it answered a lot of the questions that he had in his own life. And, and while I don't think we would agree with 100% of everything Lewis says, he's pretty spot on most of the time. He is. Yeah. He is. He does a good job. Um and so, so we're going we're going that route today. We're talking about you know his book, the problem of pain, his kind of thoughts on it, because um, that's really one school of thought. There is another school of thought that Randy has come across fairly recently, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This guy is N.T. Wright. He wrote a book called Evil and the Justice of God, and it's about the same question. They they deal with the very same question, but they approach it in two very different ways. Right. Lewis takes the more logical, apologetic approach. Wright takes the more biblical approach. What does scripture say about this? And while they approach it in two different ways, they come to the same conclusion and uh, make similar arguments. Definitely not the same arguments, but similar arguments. And so I I think probably just for the sake of time today, we're going to deal with Lewis. Yeah, I think that'll probably fill the hour. Yeah. And so the next podcast that comes out will be um, N.T. Wright's views. And that might not fill the hour, but uh, hopefully if you have some questions, you send us some questions, we can pack those questions into that hour. And you know what? Something I realized. Do you realize that we are just, I think, a week or two away from one year? Wow. Of Salty Saints. So have we hit 50 episodes yet? I think I think we're at 49. Oh, wow. As is, I think this is 50. Oh, wow. But my only question is, I don't remember if in the beginning we were putting out a couple a week or what. But we're close, man. We need to look. Okay. We need to I'm go back look to that. right now. It out. <laughs> Hopefully this won't start playing. But it's on my The original my published shows. Date. And, uh... Richard Mintz is 47. It's 47. So this is 48. This is 48. No, you, does it show no. the published date on those? Uh, 48 will be the episode that we did last week, the Churchy Words. Oh, this is 49. So this is 49, Man. and next week will be 50. That is a great way to round out the 50th episode with one of the key issues of apologetics, the problem of pain, or... Can God be good and all-powerful at the same time? Why does suffering exist? Why, Why do bad things exist? happen to good people? Right. You know, these are it's all the same, right? Right. Let's get into it. Okay. One of the one of the key things, actually, this this comes. I was going to say it comes out of NT right, but really it comes out of our experience. These things are all well and good to think about and to talk about, try to find answers to. But crunch time happens when evil happens to good people. And inevitably, you have people saying, why? Why me? Why so much? Why now? Uh, my husband died. My, uh, my child was taken from me in a horrible accident. Uh, I have cancer. They're telling me it's terminal. Why? Why does that happen? And a lot of times attached to those questions, you hear things like, well, they were a Christian their whole life. They believed in God. They were devout. Why did that happen to them? You know, Uh, Maynard James Keenan from the band Tool has tons of songs 
about his mom, who was a Christian. Mm-hmm. But she was also, I don't remember if she was a quadriplegic. Like, she she was wow. kind of in this, like, locked-in sort of state for right. a long time, years and years and years and years. And that just screwed him up so bad because he'd look at her and be like, well, why is, you know, if her yeah. God's real, why is he doing this to her? Yeah. You know, and, and you hear that reflected in his music even. So Wow. So it's a real problem. It's a, it's a real issue. And it's one that we do need to address. Now, let's start out by saying when you are with someone who is in pain, don't go to them with these arguments. That's not the time to address it. There will come a time to address it. But what they need at that point is companionship. They need to know somebody cares. They need to have somebody with them. In the book of Job, Job goes through horrible things. There's an entire book of the Bible written about this exact issue. Why do bad things happen to people like Job? His friends came and they just sat with him for seven days. That was the best thing they could have ever done. Then they opened their mouths and everything went downhill. It does not stay that way. It doesn't. I had to think about it. It all goes bad when they start to talk. Yeah, because like I I definitely don't think of his friends as doing the right thing at all. I don't think of them as friends even. They're 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 there to accuse him and and that's the issue. Much of what they were saying is actually not bad. Just the wrong time, and that's not the time to be talking to him about this, although their theological approach was definitely wrong. No, it's not. Yeah, they're, they're, they don't have it figured out whatsoever. No. Um, I would even say if you know somebody that's going through something tough right now and they come to you and say, why does this happen? Yeah. I, I still don't know that that's the right time. They kind of need a sober minded to think through this stuff. You know, Bob... Uh, Bob's been on the podcast. Bob, Bob's a, a good friend of ours. For those who attend New Hope Church, you know Bob. Uh, you've talked to Bob. He says that every time he goes to somebody and they ask him the, why, he says, I don't know. I have no answers. And he just sticks with that. He doesn't invent answers. He doesn't try to find answers. He doesn't even encourage them to try to find answers. It's just there are no answers. That's a very Job-like answer, though, too. Yeah. Like, uh, before we get into what uh, Lewis says about the topic, I mean, the book of Job basically can be summarized by God eventually coming to Job because Job gets so broken down that he eventually, like, curses the day he was born. Right. Like, he's kind of throwing this tantrum. Like, he's he's not not really... uh, you know, he doesn't stop believing in God or anything. He's just right. mad and he wants answers. But that's one of the key issues in the book of Job because it all starts out when the accuser, who there is called Satan, right. comes to God and says, uh, Job believes in you because you've given him everything. God said, okay, take it away. But you can't kill him. But you can't kill him. Right. And Job never curses God. Right. In fact, he stays engaged with God through the whole book. Right. But God's not showing up. God's not giving him the answers he wants. He's not saying anything to Job, and that drives Job nuts. So finally, when Job basically says, like, you know, show up and say something to me, God's like, okay, fine, here I am, and guess what? (laughs) I'm going to ask you a few questions, and you're going to answer me. 
And it just turns into this giant, like, uh, monologue by God saying, Mm -hmm. basically, do you understand how the stars were hung in the sky? Do you understand how I made this, this, that? Like, it it turns into this, like, you can't comprehend what I do in a second. Why do you think you're going to understand my motives? You just need to trust me. And the basic question that we all have when bad things happen to us or to our friends, why God never addresses? It's not the right question. Right? Absolutely not the right question. There there isn't an answer that we could probably comprehend for that. Um, Well, I think I do think Lewis does a good job. I do think Wright does a good job making it kind of phrasing things in a way for us to understand. Well, Wright actually comes out and says, God, the Bible does not provide any answers to the question why. Right. The Bible answers two other questions. And we'll look at that maybe next week. Sure. Yeah. So as for Lewis, yeah, this is what he has to say. So Lewis takes a very traditional apologetic approach where uh, since the question is raised on God's power, his omnipotence, and on God's uh, goodness, omnipotence, by the way, is not a biblical term. Uh, the word all-powerful is, but that's different from omnipotence. That's a Greek term that was attributed to uh, gods of Rome and Greece. And, of course, they were far from omnipotent, even in their stories. But uh, they were called omnipotent. Uh, God, however, uh, Lewis starts out by talking about God's power. Um, he says, uh, I, I've got a cheat sheet here. Um, he starts out by saying that the problem of pain exists because of our belief in God. And he makes the comment that no other religion deals with the problem of pain because in every other religion, God is not all-powerful. God is subject to essentially mortality. So Hinduism, it's not about whether pain should even exist. It's about how do you live with the pain? You you go to a Zen-like state where it doesn't affect you. Um. Christianity is the only religion that has to answer the question of the problem of pain. I thought that was a was a keen observation. That's very by good. Lewis. Yeah. That's very good. So he says that all religions have three basic presuppositions, and Christianity includes a fourth. The three suppositions is first of all, the numinous exists. There is something out there beyond ourselves. Numinous? That's what that's the name that it's he a good gives. Good word. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God in whatever expression you have exists. Mm-hmm. So there's something out there beyond ourselves. Secondly, there is morality. We know that certain things are good and certain things are bad. Thirdly, that force that's out there becomes the uh, governor of that moral law. He is somehow related to that moral law. 
whether he gives it or whether he enforces it, uh, God is out there. The numinous exists to be able to drive home in each individual the necessity of being moral. Christianity adds a fourth presupposition. And that fourth presupposition is that this occurs in time and space in history. This is not philosophy. This is not metaphysical. This is practical. This is God walking with Abraham. This is God sending Jesus to the world. This is Jesus preaching to his disciples and to the people of Israel, giving uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Paul saying, uh, you must do these things. You must not do those things. It's no longer like this hypothetical situation. It's, it is happening in the world we live in. It's happening in time and space. We see it, and frankly, if you disprove that it happened in time and space, everything that we are falls to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, something else, too, that you said. You said that only Christianity has to answer for this. I don't know that that's accurate. The Abrahamic religions would all have to answer for right. the problem of pain. Right. Because it's not that it has the answer. It's that it even asks the question. Right, right, but right, right. I think you're right. But Any Abrahamic religion... Judaism, Islam, right? They got to deal with the problem of pain too. Although I would argue that Christianity is the only one that can answer it. Yeah. So, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, in talking about um, God's omnipotence, Lewis again he takes a very traditional apologetic uh, response to it. He says, first of all, God's omnipotence is his power to do all, but that doesn't include impossibilities. That doesn't include nonsense. An example that he uses is God cannot create a rock that no one could move because then he couldn't move it. Lewis says that's a logical fallacy. That's a logical impossibility. It's nonsense. God doesn't create nonsense. God creates, in time and space, realities that we all live and experience. And then secondly, he says that God, when he created man, gave him free will to follow him. When he gave him free will, he opened the door at least to a neutral field. He opened the door for man to be able to take a step back from God's law and make a decision. Do I obey or do I disobey? Knowing that disobedience would lead to pain. God creates that. God gives man the free will to do that. And no matter which side of the Calvinist Armenian uh, uh, theological divide you're on, Uh, both believe that Adam had free will and was able to make a choice. Do I obey God or do I disobey God? And Adam chose to disobey God. That introduces pain to the world. So the question of why God allows pain, Lewis answers by saying, 
God, it's not that God allowed pain. It's that God gave man free will and with free will was the possibility of disobedience which leads to pain. Right. Does all of that make sense? Yeah, it does. I got tripped up on the Calvinist thing for a second. I had right, to think about it. Right, right, right. I, I, I never, I never know what to actually think Calvinists believe because I feel like a lot of them believe different stuff. Um, everybody every, does. Yeah, it's nobody can be put in a. Everybody's box is their own. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I, I think that that's pretty profound to, to look at the idea of pain coming in as a result of what we do. Right. Right. And I think that's kind of honestly like the heart of Lewis's argument. Right. He's saying that God did not create us for pain, but we chose that path ourselves. Right. So now God has to respond to the pain that we brought on ourselves. Which is tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Because God allows it. Right. Right. Like, and, and he would be completely justified in handling it in ways we probably wouldn't like because that's really the only way to get rid of pain I think there are even some myths we talked about creation myths here in the, in the podcast has that know. just been you and he? probably us that, that was probably just us the bible projects talking but about there are life. some creation myths where God creates man and man goes all wonky on him and so he kills everybody and he starts over yeah. Which is interesting, because God had the choice to do that, and he kills almost everybody, but he starts over again with Noah. Right, right. But the problem of pain continues through Noah's line, and it happens very early. That's Noah goes and gets drunk and uh, commits incest and horrible things happen. Well, you know, okay, something I have literally never thought about until just now. Um, and this is how my brain works, so thank you for this. Um, but it's like I've always read um, like the story of God starting over with Noah and mm-hmm. his family, right? Mm-hmm. As God taking another swing at it, kind of, right? But I, I don't think that's what it is no, I don't because think that's it is never either. made sense to me. Right. Like I've read it that way and I've gone like this doesn't make sense. God doesn't mess up. Why does he – like he knows this isn't going to work. So why is he doing it again, right? I think it's for us to look back and go God looked at – God took the greatest man alive, got rid of every bad person. Started with the one good guy left. The one righteous man. Right. And he screwed it up. And there was still sin in yeah, him. There it's was like, still pain there. It's just a it's a it's a show of like how deeply flawed yeah. man is. Yeah. You can take yeah. the greatest one and they can't do it. And as you look through the old testament, that's what you see again and again and again. You see good guys. Doing a lot of good and messing up really bad. Oh, bad. Yeah. David. David. He's so bad. A man after God's own heart. He's called the friend of God. The friend of God. That's Abraham too, right? I think Abraham is also called the friend of God. Okay. Maybe maybe it's just Abraham. That might not be David. But David is definitely called a man after God's heart. 
and he sees a pretty lady, and he and he calls her and state sanctioned rapes her. Essentially, it's date <laughs> rape, but that, that's what it is. And she gets pregnant, and so instead of fessing up and saying I've sinned, he kills her husband so he can take this lady as his wife. And her husband happened to be one of his good friends, one of his personal bodyguards, one of the 30 that had gathered around David and swore loyalty to him. And everything it says about her husband is absolutely wonderful. And you end that story thinking, that's the guy I want to be my friend, not this jerk David over here who's taken everything from his friend. He messes up, and yet he's the author of Psalms. He's... Every single time in the Old Testament you get good guys, but the evil is still there, and they can't get away from it until you get to Jesus. And Jesus, even though he was God, he was also man. He was the only good man, the only actual good man that ever existed. No evil, no darkness in that light. The the thing that kinda I think the thing that's really interesting is like by by that logic, it forces you to look at your own life. Right? Like the question is always why does God let bad things happen? But then like do we stop and take the time to look at what we do? Because I do evil every day. Yeah. I, I just do. I'm, I'm a messed up person. Like, I, I do things every day that I'll stop and I'll go, why did I just do that? I didn't, that's not what I believe in. I don't even think that's right. Why did I just do that, you know? And, like, when we do that, though, it takes it off of God completely. Yeah. He didn't do that. He right. didn't make me do that. I chose to do You know what I mean? Right. Right. And then the, the problem, That's though, actually where Lewis ends up. Right. The very end of his book, he says this ultimately, it's not about your friends. It's not about people you know that bad things are happening to. It's about you, and it's about me. Right. And it's about the evil that we do and the pain that we feel, not necessarily as a direct result of the evil that we do, but the pain exists because evil exists. Right. And what are we doing about that? Exactly. And what can we do about that? Right. And then these are the questions that do need answers, right? And those are the questions that actually N.T. Wright, I think, does a better job of responding to. Right. Yeah. I'm interested to read that. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. 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 Well, Lewis goes on. So the first attribute of God that he deals with is omnipotence. The second one he deals with is God's goodness. And... uh, when he when he when he talks about goodness, he talks about God's love for man, and he is very careful to say that goodness is not the same thing as man's happiness. And he uses a couple of different images uh, to convey that. Um, some of the in- images that I've that I've heard that speak maybe more to me is the image of a doctor. You go into a doctor and uh, you have a cancer. So the doctor says, okay, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to cut you open and uh, we're going to remove that tumor. That is pain. That causes pain. 
but it's not injury. The doctor is doing this for your good. And many times a doctor will do something that first hurts, and it hurts a lot. But the end result is good. The end result is the removal of the problem. The second image that just speaks to me is the image of a parent. And probably it speaks to me because I've been both a, a son and a father. And I have seen my parents deal with me, telling me that I had to do things that I really didn't want to do. And I have dealt with my children in the same way. I have introduced unhappiness into their life for the purpose of more happiness in the future. So goodness is not the same thing as man's happiness. God is good, and that means that from time to time we will experience pain, although we don't experience injury at the hand of God. Injury, I would define there in a very narrow meaning of damage to us. God does not damage us. He might cause pain. He might cause discomfort. It's, it's that friction we talk about from time to time, right? Right. right? Like right. You, that's how you experience growth. You know, that's how you you get better at things like working out. Even yeah, like nobody likes to work out, but everybody knows it's good for you. What's saying? No pain, no gain. Right. No pain, no gain. Yep. I mean, that's it's a pretty concise way of putting it. Um, but then it, it takes maturity on our part to accept that. Yeah. Right. Because like. Nobody likes pain. <laughs> this is why I don't work out. <laughs> right, exactly. This is why. This is how I maintain such peak physical condition. It's, uh, it's a tough time. <coughs> Excuse me. This, by the way, is not COVID. This is <laughs> this is allergy-induced bronchitis, and thought, I'm not. I'm not contagious. I thought I'd let you go ahead and, and handle that one. <laughs> um. So that brings us to the issue of evil in man, human wickedness. So um, what, what Lewis says in this chapter is uh, there are eight things that we need to consider when we think about our own sin. Mm-hmm. First of all, how easy it is that we deceive ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we see other people's sin much more easily than we see our own. Did you tell me if you're the one that told me this? I just heard this recently, but the idea that we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Wasn't me, but that's really true, isn't it? <laughs> it yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Um, secondly, he says it's so easy for us, and boy, I find this. I find this all the time. We tend to make sin a corporate thing when sin is actually a personal thing. Explain that. Yeah, so um, right after Uh 9-11, President Bush began talking about the axis of evil. And I, I don't want to get into politics, but the interesting thing is he was talking about the axis of the evil as the evil ones who crash the airplanes into the um, uh, 
what were the towers the called? World Trade, uh, the World Trade Center towers. But they crashed the airplanes into the World Trade Center towers because they saw America as the axis of evil. And they were trying to defeat their axis of evil. The point being is that it is so easy to make sin a corporate thing. A, a uh, it, It's them mm. when we're not looking at some of the root causes of evil, even in our own system, in our own lives. Which, to take what you're saying a step further, I guess to clarify what you're saying, right. what Randy's not saying is that, like, we do believe... That sin is a power. It that, is. That it is a almost an and entity. And there is a corporate sin. I, exactly. Right. But, but it's not any specific group of people. It is the whole of the world. Right. Has kind of been under its thumb forever. Plus, once we begin to focus on the corporate aspect of evil, it becomes very easy to say that's them. Right. That's the system. Right. It's not really my problem. And the Bible's more taking that and putting it in focus and saying, yeah, there, there is a corporate sin. There is an entity of sin, and you're all subject to right. it. All, right. And not one is free from it, except for Jesus. Right. <laughs> so the third thing Lewis says is one of the common lies we tell ourselves is that time cures all evils. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That I'll be better with time kind of thing? Time cancels sin. No, no. What's happened to me, it goes away with time. So I just kind of let it go, and pretty soon I forget about it. Okay. Psychology tells us that doesn't work. No, that's, uh, we, that's compartmentalizing. We bury it. Uh, we compartmentalize, <laughs> we bury it, and it keeps popping up. And Scripture tells us that doesn't work. Evil is evil. It needs to be named. It needs to be dealt with. The fourth thing he says is we believe there's safety in numbers. And this is true. Everybody's doing it. It can't be that bad because everybody's doing it. Well, the reality is it is that bad. Everybody's doing it, and that makes it worse. It's it's not better. It's worse right. because everybody's doing it. Fix six... Uh, um, Uh, I'm going to skip over six and seven. Uh, number eight that he gets here, th- those are, are kind of theoretical concepts. But in the eighth one, he says, we shift the responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. Uh, yeah, I did it. I know it was bad when I did it, but I did it because right. this happened to me or that person made me feel this way or whatever. There's always a reason. There's always an excuse. And it always seems to be valid in our mind. I, I got more just cliche common phrases, but have you ever heard when somebody says, like, in an apology, uh, everything matters up until when you say the word but. And then everything after that is just an excuse. Right. Like exactly. that's <laughs> yep. And that and but that's what we do. Yeah. That that so often um we want to tell people why we did what we did that hurt them and why it really wasn't all that bad. Right. I'm really and why sorry they for shouldn't, it. That they shouldn't feel the way they do because we did it. Right. It, well, it not only it, it's not only diminishing what you did, you're also basically saying, like, their feelings are invalid. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's, it's right. like That's more right. selfishness. You shouldn't have felt this way. Yeah. Right. 
Um, yeah, uh, Lewis talks about uh, the fall of man in all of that. And uh, basically what he says is that when man fell, basically he corrupted himself. Mm-hmm. The basic sin was the sin of pride, and that tends to affect everything else that we do. Most sins can be reduced to simple selfishness and pride. Now, that's kind of um, that's kind of where the serpent attacked Eve. Uh, God has said, don't eat of this tree, because the day that you'll eat it, you'll die. He says, oh, you won't really die. Instead, you'll become like God. There's the pride thing. And uh, then he goes on, he, he gets Eve to eat. Eve then hands the apple or whatever fruit it was to Adam, who was sitting right there, watching the whole thing, never said a word, just let it go on. Because it was pleasant, it was pleasurable. So you have the the selfishness, you have the pride taking place there. And Lewis just, in his chapter on the fall of man, he goes back to call all of human sin uh, in its source as selfishness and pride. And so... I actually just read this yesterday, and I'd never caught this verse before, uh, but it's Romans 14, 23. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's where Paul's talking about, uh, maybe, I, I was reading Romans and Galatians, so forgive me if I'm getting this minced up, but I think he's talking about like when the Jews were eating yeah, clean, clean and unclean it. food. Right. Okay. but And he says, but who, uh, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Interesting, interesting. And so I, I just think that's, that's such great. a great summary, yeah. though, of what yeah. sin is. Because, I mean, all sin comes down to not trusting in God. Exactly. Faith is all about shifting your allegiance to God. Right. Because if, if you're in, like, who's to say that at some point in time God wasn't going to allow Adam and Eve to eat that fruit? Right. Who's to say that? Right. We don't know. Right. What we do know is at that point in time they weren't supposed to. Right. And that was the sin. I think since God put it in the garden, there was going to come a day when God would sit down with Adam and Eve and say, okay, today I'm going to give you this fruit and you're going to understand what good and evil is. I'm going to teach you. But they said, I want to know now. Right. And I want to know on my terms, not on your terms. I've I've heard that that thought. I I mean, who's to say? But at the same time, yeah, I kind of have wondered that myself. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's the, no, I'm going to do this my way. Yeah. I'm not going to listen to the one being in all of existence that actually knows what's going on. <laughs> so the next chapter, a uh, couple of chapters actually, uh, Lewis deals with pain, with human pain. He's treated man's wickedness. Now the pain that results from the wickedness. One of the things that Lewis says is that pain is actually part of God's grace to us. It's what God gives us to let us know that we are inherently evil. He has this great quote. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. It is, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The pain that we feel 
God intends that to draw us to look for him. Job certainly did. Yeah. Um, I was listening to Frank Turek. I think I was telling you about him. Okay. He's an apologist. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Richard, uh, that was just on the podcast, was telling me about him. And uh, I didn't realize I knew who he was, but I did know who he was. I've watched some of his videos. I just didn't know the name. Uh, But he had a great video talking about kind of this, the problem of pain. And somebody asked this question, this, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And he made the statement. He said, well, you know, first of all, if God were to get rid of all the bad in the world, he might start with us. <laughs> and that was the first thing he said. And I was like, okay, good point. But then he said, hey, um, you know, just show of hands. And he was in like a lecture at like a college. He said, how many people in here came to Christ when they were at their lowest, when they, when they hurt more than when you hurt more than you've ever hurt and almost the entire room raised their hands oh my goodness that is why pain can be good and that's lewis's second point that pain draws us to seek for god exactly the it's it's god's grace to man that pain shame guilt sadness like those are uncomfortable states that force us to want to get back to a right standing, to a good place, right? Yeah. And that's with God. Wow. That's great. That's great. Um, that's a practical application of what, what uh, Lewis was saying. It, it shows that his is kind of a traditional apologetic approach. But it, but it's valid. It's Sure. It works. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. In my experience, <laughs> uh, people who are under a great deal of pain... Uh, generally one of two things happen. They draw closer to God or they push God out of their lives. Yeah. Um, And more typically, if the pain is their own, they draw closer to God. If the pain is of someone close to them, that's when they tend to push God away. Yeah. Um, And this is going to sound, oh, man, this may make somebody mad. I'm going to say it anyways. I feel that a lot of the time, the people that push God away do so because they don't fully understand him. Yeah. And that may make people mad. I don't know. Like, it just seems to me that if you truly know God's heart, if you know who he is, you can never put the blame on him for pain. I mean, that's really what this all boils down to, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not his fault. He, in fact, he's the only one doing any good. Right. In all of this. Right. Right, know? right, right. <laughs> and, and to push him away is just, it's crazy. It's, it's insane. It's like yeah. throwing away your lifeboat, you know? Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Lewis's next chapter uh, also deals with, with human pain. And there he, he talks about propositions that we need to deal with as we talk about human pain. He talks, first of all, about a paradox where Christians know that pain can be good, but that doesn't mean they seek for it. (laughs) And when it comes, it doesn't mean that they really want it. Right. And that's that's certainly true. When pain comes, our first reaction is not, oh, goody, goody. Our first reaction is, oh, boy, this again, or more of this. 
That's why it's so important for us to surround people that we see who are going through pain. And typically, the best people to be around us are people who have gone through the same pain. Right. Um, you know, it just happened to me um, uh, a couple of days ago where um, uh, someone I was talking to said that uh, they were dealing with cancer. It had been found early. I suggested, hey, there's somebody I'd like you to meet and introduce her to a friend of mine, good friend of mine, who has just, she is in the process of dealing with cancer. Uh, she is right now apparently cancer-free, but my understanding is you have to be cancer-free for five years before they declare you in remission, so she's still in treatment. I introduced them, and then I kind of stepped away and started talking to somebody else. I turned around literally a minute later, and they were squirreled away in the corner just deep in conversation because someone going through pain found someone else who is walking the same path. And it just resonates. Now, one of the reasons I'm convinced that sometimes Christians do go through pain is so that they'll be prepared to help others right. walk through that same pain. And not just Christians. And not just Christians. I mean, that look at so much of Jesus' ministry. Yeah. That he's walking up to people that, I mean, yeah, they're Jews, but like they're kind of stuck in the wrong frame of mind i mean everybody was when jesus came but he's walking up to people and he's just asking them like hey do you want to be healed do you want to be better because i know how to get better like yeah. it was it was about talking with him you know like being in relationship with him and we can kind of do that for other people yeah 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 now lewis wrote his book at the very very start of world war ii um it had been going on for about a week about a year so in this chapter, some of his topics really kind of deal with the metaphysical and, and uh, psychological background of what they were feeling in World War II. It doesn't necessarily speak that clearly to us. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to mention out of this chapter is that he says that suffering explains why the world can give glimpses of joy but it doesn't give lasting security uh, pain does exist and even when we get over today's pain tomorrow's pain can come so I can experience joy when I get over today's pain but there's always a sense that it's but coming tomorrow's back. coming but in scripture at the end of time, God returns and destroys evil. And at that point, there is not temporary joy, but happiness and permanent joy. It's kind of, that's kind of interesting, too, because like the idea there is that it's hard for me to enjoy being happy right now because I know tomorrow I may be unhappy. Yeah. But there's such a greater happiness coming someday soon that's going to take away all the right. bad, and it's only going to be good. So shouldn't that help us enjoy right now? Yeah. 
You know, it's it's almost like by putting our hope in that moment, whenever that is, that that should help us get through right now. Um, one of my favorite verses of the Bible has a lot to say about that. It's it's Jesus after he says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." All these things will be added. He goes on to say, "And don't worry about the things of tomorrow. You got enough to worry about today." <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. It's almost a little like... It is so practical. A little bit of like a sarcastic smirk with it. You it know? is. <laughs> it's snarky Jesus, isn't it? Uh, Lewis goes on to talk about heaven and hell. And he feels that he needs to talk about these two. Because hell is the way God deals with the ultimate problem of evil. He destroys it. He casts it in the lake of fire. But in doing so, he also removes from himself the people who have rejected him. Now, what Lewis says about that, both in The Problem of Pain, this book, and this is a great little collection you have here, in this book called The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce is is kind of like a more contemporary version of The Pilgrim's Progress. But instead of walking, this is a bus trip. Uh, A a man who lives in hell uh, gets on a bus and takes a day excursion to heaven. And that is actually part of him being in hell. Is that he has to be subjected to see everything he can't have. And it's not so much that. Um, In hell, hell is infinite. And the worst person is hell is the guy that lives all the way out there alone by himself. And the only one he's ever with is himself. What Lewis is saying is that hell is when God gives to the people who didn't want anything to do with him just what they wanted. Nothing to do with God. God removes himself from them and they're left to themselves. So the worst person in hell is the one who has nobody. He's out there on his own. Now on the bus trip to heaven, they get out of the bus and they they walk on the grass. And heaven is so real that the grass blades cut through their shoes and poke their feet. And they realize they are just shades. They're, They're... Almost as if they weren't there because they've rejected the reality of God. Hmm. So Lewis says hell is God giving to people just what they wanted, a life without him. Which I, I 100% agree with that. I think, I think that's what it is. I mean, that's, that's what gets you there for sure. Um, I don't know that I think... C.S. Lewis is... Well, and, and I don't think that he thinks that no, either. He's, no. he's presenting he's a painting, metaphor. He's painting, yeah, a he's painting a picture. He's trying to help you see things for what they are. Uh, you can't read him literally. He but, helps you feel yeah. what things really are. Yeah, because and, I think he also says the gate to hell... I think it's Lewis. The, the gate to hell is locked from the inside. Huh, probably. I think it's it. That sounds like Lewis. Saying, yeah. like, they've locked themselves in. They yeah, chose yeah. to lock themselves. Like, it's, it's beautiful. They didn't but... want God. Yeah. And heaven is exactly the opposite. It is God giving himself completely to the people 
that want him. Right. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I was talking about on Sunday with the two. Yeah, that's true. You want Jesus, you get more Jesus. You yeah. don't want Jesus, you get no Jesus. That's right. That's right. That's actually uh, it's it's. Uh, one of the passages that Jesus repeats about three times in three different parables, to him who has more will be given, to him who has not, even that which he has shall be taken away. Hmm. Which is horribly unfair when you think about equity and <coughs> redistribution of wealth and those kind of things, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you don't want me, you don't have to. But in all fairness, I mean, that's exactly what he's saying because worldly pleasures are really counted as nothing. Kind of like we were yeah. talking about today. Like in yeah. Revelation, the, the, they're given the crowns and they throw them down at, at, at God's feet, you know. Like, Revelation 4, yeah, the 24 elders have crowns. And what do they do with them? They lay them at Jesus' feet. Right. Say, you are worthy. We're not worthy. But it's just kind of like when, when, when you've got Jesus, everything else stops meaning so much what's the uh everything everything else what does paul say or is peter oh that you become become more and the things of this world become increasingly dim or how is that phrased i'm gonna find song but i'm uh, gonna find it okay (laughs) i'll go look in here in a minute so that's lewis's presentation of the problem of pain the one thing that you find is that this is not the book to give to somebody who's going through pain. These are things that you think about before you're in deep pain. They they help you understand a little bit of what God is doing, but they are not, this is not a comforting book. When someone is in pain, the best thing to do is to be there. Uh, Bob calls it the ministry of presence. And that's that's exactly what it is. You go there, you cry with them. I I think it's very significant that one of the few times that Jesus cried in his ministry was at Lazarus' tomb. And he knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He even took his time getting there. He even took his time <laughs> getting there. And uh, when he did finally get there and Lazarus was dead, he went to the tomb and he cried. Uh, there is pain, and Jesus experienced that pain. And it wasn't Lazarus's pain. It was the, the people around him. The, and they're he, all crying. He saw all... how they loved him. He saw the other people crying, and he joined in because he recognized, empathized with, and validated their pain. That's what we need to do when someone is in pain. When they have the questions, why, why me, why now, there's no answers. There are no answers. And something I think that needs to be addressed, too, is, like, God in his perfection experiences sadness because of us. Right. We cause him sadness. We do. Like, he is a perfect being, and we make him sad. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's, uh, that's hard to wrap your head around because we think of heaven as this perfect place. But even heaven is marred by sin right now. Hmm. I mean, is that fair to say? Because Tell me gonna, more about that. Well, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. That all sin, death, everything will pass away, right? Yeah. 
that tells me even the heavenly realms right now have been scarred by sin. The, yeah. They're affected yeah. by. I mean, yeah. Satan walks into God and says, "Look at Job." You know, like yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously yeah. there's this. And certainly, God has to send Jesus. I mean, there there was pain in sending Jesus, right? Right. In the perfect Trinity, in a in a perfect communion, being separated. Right. You know, I mean, thirty three years in a in an eternity is is just a blip, but it's a blip. And. and one more thing to, to point out there is like that there's nothing wrong with being sad. Um, it's not a sin, I guess no. I should say. No, no, no. But it is a result of sin. It's not a sin. lack of faith. It is a result of sin. It's a result of evil. Right. And evil is the result of sin. So it might not be a sin that one committed. I mean, God does not punish your sin with cancer or with taking your child. That is not what's going on here. But death is a direct result of the fall of mankind, right. which we all participate in. Right. And so, you know, looking at Lewis's view on things, what can what can we take from that? Because I feel like we're going to have a little bit different answer with right. But looking at he what answers Lewis is saying, different questions, right? But, yeah. What can we take from this? What can we? So I think the 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 basic thing that I. I uh, took out of Lewis, The Problem of Pain. That was the first book that I read by Lewis, and it it impacted me a lot. It made me want to go and read much more of his books, which I've I've read most of them. Um, What I took away from The Problem of Pain is that there are answers to these questions. Uh, The answers, however, don't necessarily give us comfort, and they certainly don't respond to the question, why? What it does respond to is, why does evil exist? Right. Not why, why this God particular do case, but why evil in general exists. Right. And what God is doing about the problem of evil in general. When I personalize it and say, why do I have this cancer? No. There are no satisfactory answers to that. And what can God do about this cancer? Few more answers, but ultimately he may choose to let me continue with the cancer. He could take it away. He could use doctors to take it away. And I may die from it. So there's no uh, assurance that if I have enough faith, God is going to answer the way I want him to answer. And you have to be careful because there are sects of Christianity that would there are. that would claim otherwise. Part of what we've referred to as the prosperity gospel or right. name it and claim it would say that uh, if you have enough faith, God will do what you want to make you happy. I just don't think that is a biblical concept. The entire internet watched that fall flat on its face a year ago when a little girl died within a church. I think it was Bethel, if I remember right. Wow. And everybody online, uh, I think it was the mother or the grandmother, just kept kept saying, we just got to pray. We just got to keep praying. Everybody pray, and she's going to come back. God is going to heal her. He's going to bring her back to life. And after a few weeks, everybody's just kind of like, why isn't this working? Yeah. And that destroys people's faith. Yeah. But it's not 
It's not a matter of your faith. The Bible never assures us that he is going to answer in the way that we want him you to You can answer. twist a few verses and get that out of it if you want. But you're but twisting them. You're twisting some verses when yeah. you get there. Um, yeah, I guess my, my major takeaway is that we, we cause sin. Yeah. We cause sin. God doesn't. God's the only one trying to do anything about making it right again. And the only one who can do anything exactly. about making it right again. And uh, the, the only way we have any kind of chance is through Christ. And so earlier I said, you know, all the Abrahamic religions have to be- beg this question because they all have an all-powerful God. Right. Um, Christianity is the only one with an answer. Yeah. Christianity is the only one with a solution, and that's Jesus Christ and putting your faith in him. Because the truth of the matter is we're going to have pain and suffering in this life. Yeah. No matter where you stand, no matter whether you're with Christ or against Christ. But if you're with Christ, you know what happens after this life. You know that good does win. Yes. And you know what side you are on. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that, like you said, healing does come in this life. God does heal people mm-hmm. miraculously. Mm-hmm whether through supernatural means or, uh, like, more tangible, uh, understandable means to to us, but not always. Right. And we just can't know when because we're not God. And it's it's also not that Christianity is pie in the sky by and by. It's definitely not. It's, It's this life is a veil of tears, but one day's coming when we'll be happy. No, no, God gives us happiness now. But we live in a fallen world. We live in a world of sin. And so currently, we will continue to face evil, we'll continue to face pain. But God gives us the the moxie. He gives us the ability to be able to deal with that, to walk through that pain with him and with others who he has put around us. Right. I mean, it's really about love. It's it's about... Knowing how loved you are and having the, this newfound capacity to truly love others. And, uh, you know, we do that, like you said, in a fallen world. Yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of where Lewis takes it. So not a pleasant topic. Not at all. A heavy topic, but, but one that needs to be addressed. Well, well that's just it. This is an, we're, we're an apologetics and faith story podcast. That's what we're focused on. And guys, if you are using any of this, if you're talking to anybody about Jesus, you're going to deal with this one. This yeah. is this is going to happen. Yeah. So I hope it's blessed you. I hope you can take some of this and and use it to to try and comfort others. And like we said, you know, like when they're going through something, maybe that's not the time. But yeah. but when it is the time, you you've got somewhere to start. And, uh, yeah, dive in. C.S. Lewis is great. I'd, yeah, go buy this on Amazon. I think it was like $7 used. So <laughs> That's great. It's not bad, right? Man, a dollar a book there. Those, that's, that's, not those bad. are priceless. Not bad. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you've got questions, you can send those to us at questions at newhope.com or at be, uh, saltysaints at – What did I say? New Hope? New Hope. I'm so sorry. Questions at becomehope.com or – Salty Saints at becomehope.com. We have so many emails. We do. We do. <laughs> or, um, yeah, make sure to leave us a comment, like, subscribe. Don't hit dislike, please. Uh, I think that's about it. We're, we should be wherever podcasts 
are found, right? That's right. Including you two. Should be. Take it easy, guys. Stay salty. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, or art to make, or perhaps businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, Search and follow the Messenger Movement podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.